Some time ago, uh, Elder Cox and I were at a presbytery meeting. Uh, Elder Cox has been your faithful representative for quite some time uh, going to those presbytery meetings. He's like me. He doesn't love meetings, but usually barbecue is involved. Uh, and Elder Cox will tell you that he has the spiritual gift of receiving hospitality. And uh, so he, he, he is willing to accompany me uh, to those meetings. But part of those meetings are taken up with the ordination and licensure of candidates for ministry, and that is a, that is quite a difficult process. First of all, you have to get a Master's of Divinity, uh, so you have to go through all the schooling, but then you have to prove that you actually know what you're talking about after that. So it would be something like standing for the bar exam for an attorney or uh, uh, boards, I guess, for physicians, that sort of thing. But there's a part of it is where you stand before the entire presbytery, all those presbyters, all those elders, and have to defend your, your situation. Well, there was a young man uh, who was standing up, and the question was posed to him, what pronoun would you use to describe the Holy Spirit? And he just blurted out, it. And you could just hear this groan of the presbyters. Oh. And then he got, he was nervous, and you can imagine. Then he, then he out of his nervousness, he said, no, no, she. <laughs> And he just dug the hole even deeper. You know, there's only one pronoun left. How about he? You know, the, the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, but it reminded me that very often people are somewhat ignorant of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's obviously the third person of the Trinity. Uh, and, and, um, and, you know, it's a significant part. Uh, obviously, he's part of the conversion and everything else. But, but a lot of us perhaps are are concerned about emphasizing it too much because we don't want to look charismatic or something like that. But today we're going to have an opportunity to look at this ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you remember, we're, we're closing up here with Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22 today. Uh, last Lord's Day, we looked at some quick, what it calls uh, staccato imperatives. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And we're going to continue with that, that kind of the quick sort of staccato imperatives today as we look at obeying the Holy Spirit's, embrace the Holy Scriptures, and pursue a holy life. So let's go to the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit and pray that he would reveal to us truths uh, for, from Holy Scripture this morning. God, we do come to you, Lord, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit, the great helper that has come to us, that converts us, uh, that saves us, that sanctifies us. And we, uh, we pray uh, blessings upon us as we seek to unmind the great depths of Holy Scripture, to understand our doctrine, that we would not be ignorant of the truths of Holy Scripture, but not just intellectually embrace them, not, not, not in a cold, harsh manner, but to let them go deep into our heart, into our affections. The Holy Spirit is a person, and that person lives in us. Let us love and adore him as a result. Please press your truth to us today. Convict us, bless us, reward us, encourage us, challenge us through your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So again, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 22. Again, uh, the, the situation in the church in Thessalonica was Paul planted it, and soon persecution arose. Paul had to kind of skip out of town very quickly uh, to help diminish some of that persecution. Uh, and in that time, he, he, he basically gave them the great doctrines of the Christian faith, but some of it maybe was incomplete, and they have misunderstood some things, especially regarding to the return of Jesus Christ. So, 
this series, and then as we continue on with Second Thessalonians, uh, we've, we've titled the series, Living in the Light of Return of Jesus Christ. And that's really Paul's whole emphasis here. What are we supposed to be doing in the, in the light of the fact that Jesus Christ, Lord of the universe, is going to come back, and he's going to bring his own people to himself uh, so that's kind of where Paul's going. But like we said, he's kind of running out of papyrus here. He's kind of addressed some of these, uh, these heavy theological issues. And now he's just sort of popping out some, some, some points here that he's trying to get through here. And we pick back up here with chapter 5, verse 19. God says, the apostle Paul writes, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from every form of eagle, uh, eagle, <laughs> of evil. Uh, but let's, so go ahead and look at it. if you want to. This might be helpful because this this outline is somewhat extensive. I've, I've included more detail than I normally include. So you might find your home group helps insert to be a benefit here. But first of all, we want to look at obey the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, it says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. So I want to kind of go through some very, very, uh, some basic categories to explain where Paul is coming from. First of all, what is the Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, we understand that it was promised given to us from Jesus Christ in John chapter 14. He says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that, will, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. So he promised the apostles and us the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then right before his ascension, he says something similar, Acts chapter 1, and gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Well, that, what's the, what did the promised Father? Which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Of course, that truth was fulfilled. We're here today in America because the promise that the witness of the Holy Spirit is going to go out through the remotest part of the earth are true. And then we see the great fulfillment in Pentecost on Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came a he from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, which Christ promised, and then uh, reminded them again before his ascension, actually came on the day of Pentecost. And then, of course, that, that gave them great power. Here were these men previously cowering for fear of being arrested, absolutely transformed planet Earth and became the great missionary endeavor of the early church. So what is the Spirit's role? I came up with 11 of them. I got this really neat Bible software that is... I think 25 years old, and the company went bankrupt 10 years ago. So when it dies, we're all in trouble. But I can go in. There's a little category. I can put a period, and then I can type in Holy Spirit. And it will give me every reference to the Holy Spirit in Holy Scripture. And I can get it in Dutch. 
I can get it in uh, Spanish. I can get it in Portuguese. I can get it Greek. I can get it Latin. So anyway, that's what I did. So I'm just going through kind of looking at some of the categories of references of the Holy Spirit. You might come up with 15. You might come up with 8. But these are some of the ones I came up to. But this is important. You need to understand who the Holy Spirit is because he's sort of kind of the silent partner uh, and yet not because he's actually the one that's inside of you that inspired Holy Scripture, that applies that Scripture to your heart. So in a sense, he's actually the most active partner uh, from our personal experience here. So what is the Spirit's role? First of all, the Spirit's role, and you'll, see, again, see all of these on your outline. Uh, the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to regener- is, involves regeneration and transformation. And I'm going to go through some quick verses here, John, 1 John 4. But by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Holy Spirit. That's how you know you're a Christian. That's actually how it starts. It doesn't start with you saying the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer is a result of something that's already happened within your life. Prior to that, you're running from God. The Holy Spirit comes inside you. Then you run to God. You are regenerated. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, he opens up this letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, how? By the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be with you. There's a beautiful picture of the Trinity. All three members of the Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity, are mentioned in that one text. And the various roles, this is called economic Trinitarianism. The, the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have different roles, but they're all one different God. I'm one, the same God. Titus 3, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, so you don't get to heaven by being good, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration and what? Renewing by the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And I love that. You get full Holy Spirit. He poured it out richly. It's not like some of you get more than others. The Holy Spirit resides. If you are a three-year-old and you're converted to Christ, that Holy Spirit is just as big as the Holy Spirit in Steve Rout's song. Just as important, just as alive, just as much God. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, we're going to close with this idea that we are to flee evil and embrace what's good. This is one of the great motivators is that God himself lives in us. We are not in a temple this morning. We're in a chapel. We're in a church. The temple no longer exists. The the temple of the Old Testament no longer exists. uh, There's a mosque on top of its foundation right now. But see, God had a different plan. God had a different plan. You even see this at the the, uh, conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the well in Sidechar. She's all concerned with, where do we worship, on Mount, uh, Mount Nebo, or we, we worship down here in Jerusalem? And he says, I'm telling you, time's coming that you're going to worship in spirit and in truth, because the Holy Spirit's going to be in every single believer. You're a little temple. You're a little temple. It's not for temples to have overturned trash pails on their front porch, to be involved with, with uh, immoral things. There is a purity, a, 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 a sanctification with the temple that's important. You are set aside for holy use 
because the Holy Spirit lives in you. All right, the second one is the Spirit applies God's Word to our lives. Second Peter says, No prophecy was ever made of an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's where we got our Bible. Hebrews 10 says, The Holy Spirit bears witness to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, make a contrast here, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may know the things freely given us by God. So this, is the, the, this, again, is a great uh, a ministry of the Holy Spirit to apply these great truths to us. The Spirit unites us with our, uh, unites with our conscience to affirm or condemn our actions. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. It's like having this and this professor uh, inside of you that is teaching you these great truths and applying these great truths. Now, he's going he's to do that in the context of Holy Scripture. He's going to do that in the context of fellowship and a good church and things like that. But he is going to do that. And, and whatever he's done, because he, remember now, he also wrote the Bible. Whatever he applies to you is going to be scriptural. He's not going to go and tell you, go do something different than what's in the scripture. And when someone says, you know, I had a word from the Lord and I am, and, you know, and for instance, he's going to kill me unless we raise a million dollars, which has been said, you know, you just need to run. You need to run. That is not from scripture. That's, man, that's from manipulative human hearts. All right, so then the, we, we also see here that uh, Romans 8 tells us that we are led by the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. The Spirit helps us in prayer by interceding for us. This is one of the greatest parts, aspects of the Spirit. Romans 8 says this, In the same way, this, our Spirit, the Spirit helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Would you all say an amen to that? We just don't know how to pray. What we, what we do is we daydream and say amen a lot of times. We don't know how to pray. We need help. Uh, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows that the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He even prays for us. And evidently, we can even, are not even always aware of that prayer. But we, God knows our hearts. He know, Obviously, he's providential in our lives. He knows everything around us, everything that's going on. And evidently, the Spirit of God within us is praying to God the Father through Jesus Christ for what we really mean when we pray and what we really need when we pray. So he, he is praying for us, interceding for us. How powerful is that? I mean, that's just a non-losing non proposition there to have God himself offer prayers to God himself. Like, there's not going to be anything lost in translation right there. And he takes our mumble, little, pathetic, fleshly efforts at prayer and is exalted by them and answers them. The Spirit provides with a new heart and new affections for God and his law. Galatians 4 says this, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of the son, crying out, Abba, Father. This is one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture because this is the evidence that you're actually a Christian. If you want to know, am I really a Christian? There is an affection that you have for God that you didn't have before. You might have been a respecter of God. You might have been keenly interested in God. But you go from this God out there, when the spirit comes in, he becomes Abba, Father, he becomes, if this was written in New Southern English, Daddy. Daddy. 
Well, Dr. Campbell, that's kind of blasphemous, calling God daddy. You, okay, bring it up with Paul when you see him, you know. Daddy. Daddy. The creator of the universe is so madly in love with you that you get to call him on the most familiar of, of terms. That's powerful. That's the Holy Spirit. He gives us a new heart. Uh, he, uh, the Spirit provides new affections for other Christians as well. Be, uh, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, right? Uh, the Spirit gives us this bond of peace. Ha- have you ever been to a conference where you can just tell somebody else is a Christian? You, you, you're just brothers and sisters. You just know it. And they don't even have to speak English, and sometimes you, you, you know it. Uh, I remember this wonderful story from George Grant. George Grant was a, on a train, as I recall, in Romania. It might have been Albania. It was one of the Enneas. Uh, and he was on this train, and there's this, this old, crusty farmer gets on the train and is unwrapping a root vegetable that he's starting to eat for his lunch. And George Grant had a Bible in front of him. And uh, being the good PCA guy that he was, and he's and he's and and then the the the, the man says, you know, starts pointing at the Bible, starts pointing at the Bible, but he didn't speak any English, and George Grant didn't speak any Romanian Albanian, so so he goes, Hallelujah, uh, Maranatha, you know, the common Greek Hebrew words that they would know, and they're just and they're just crying because they're brothers in Christ, and they can't even speak the same language. Yo, that's powerful that's the holy spirit that's what the holy spirit does the spirit strengthens us for this uh life uh, god has not given us the spirit of timidity but of power and love and discipline the most cowardly amongst us can 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 go to the stake as a martyr because of the power of the holy spirit he provides us with a spiritual gift uh, but each one god has given us manifestation of the spirit now why does he give each one of you a spiritual gift is it so you can be on display in God's museum? Oh, look how clever I am. Look how creative I am. Look what a great, eloquent speaker I am. Look how loving I am. No. He gives you a spiritual gift for the rest of us. This is, this is a, an endorsement of joining a local church. Because we need each other. And we don't all have the same gifts. Most people have one gift, maybe two gifts. Uh, and, and there's some gifts that are more common than other gifts. So you got to come together in order to be able to see these spiritual gifts uh, come about. He strengthens us for this life, 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God did not give us a spirit. Oh, that, that was a good. It was, it was so good that I repeated it intentionally again. The spirit provides us with hope of salvation to come, Romans 8. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and are children heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The minute the Holy Spirit enters you, you're in the will. You're in the will. And it's not going to be like one of those TV, you know, estate kind of things where you come into the lawyer and then my entire estate goes to Cousin Eddie and everybody else. No, it's going to be like you're going to get to heaven and you're going to see your inheritance because you're a child of God. Everybody's going to get something as a child of God. Second Corinthians 1 also sealed us and gave us the spirit as a heart of the pledge. Romans 8. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through, the, uh, through his spirit which dwells in you. So the fact that Jesus was raised in the power of the spirit is also going to is indicator that you're going to be raised. The spirit is a pledge. He's a down payment. The rest of the house is coming, but right now you've got the down payment. 
The Spirit glorifies Christ and makes us more like him, 2 Corinthians 3. But we with an unveiled face behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory just as the Lord, the Spirit. And then the final one here, the Spirit emboldens us to fulfill the Great Commission, Acts chapter 4. Uh, and when they had prayed, the place they were gathering together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking the word of God with boldness. All right. That was a little bit of a lengthy theological discourse on the spirit. But it's 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 important. Every one of those aspects are important. So let me ask you this question. Why in the world would you not want that? Why would you want to leave out any of those aspects? Well, that's the problem. Uh, how do we miss experiencing these these benefits? Well, we, as Paul says here, we quench the Holy Spirit. Now, this is remarkable because if you think about God, God is omnipotent, right? He's all powerful. And yet, even though it's mysterious in some ways, there is a way that you, in a sense, you can limit, if I can put it this way, God's power in your life because you are quenching the Holy Spirit, and you could be missing out on some of those 11 aspects of the Holy Spirit because of that. So Paul is warning the Thessalonians, he's warning you not to do that. This idea of quench, of course, is a, uh, it means to extinguish, stifle, or retard. Uh, it's used of those, uh, the, the virgins who left uh, in Matthew 25 who forgot to get oil. They said, give us some oil. Our lamps are going out. Because the Holy Spirit is often uh, described as fire, right? Tongues of fire. So basically, you've got a metaphorical fire within you. The Spirit's real, but he's not a real fire. Uh, so there's a fire inside of you. So you want that fire. You want to throw kindling on that fire. You want to throw two-year-old seasoned well-split oak on that fire. You don't want to throw water on that fire. And evidently, that is possible. It's possible to limit the manifestations of the Spirit in your life because of decisions that you make. And that's what Paul is warning right here. And, uh, and we do this by sinning, by ignoring God's words, by rejecting the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But it goes beyond just, just not letting the Holy Spirit do its job. There's an emotional quality to this. Again, to be a Christian is to actually, yes, it's a religion and that it's a faith. But it's a relationship. You know, that has been overused sometimes, but there's real, a real truth to that. We have a relationship. And this is relational language. We read this verse earlier, but listen to Ephesians 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When you hear that word grieve, what do you think of? What do you think? Have you ever grieved before? I was... Telling to Thomas is on the way over. I had to um, I had to dispose of a dead feral cat in my backyard this morning. Now y'all know I'm no fan of feral cats, but I'm a softy for animals, so I'm disposing of this feral cat and and I'm apologizing to it that I can't give it a proper funeral. I mean, just you know, and then and then I just start crying on the way to to uh, church because I had to get rid of this feral cat, this unloved feral cat, you know. And I'm just kind of I'm grieving over a stupid feral cat, you know. And that's what we do, the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing, and yet you can affect the emotions of one of the members of the Trinity. You know why? 
He loves you. He loves you. Any of you who are parents, you know how much your children can grieve you. They have the capacity to grieve. Well, well they, don't, they, can't, they grieve you much more than they grieve the rest of us because you have a, a, a sacrificial love for them. Well, he loves you. Why would you grieve that? Wouldn't you want all the aspects of the spirit that we talked about to come flaming up within your life? One commentator says, this quenching takes place when believers crowd out God's word, prayer, corporate worship, and earthly pursuits of sinful pleasures. The result is the effects of the Spirit's work are diminished like the flickering flames of a fire that has been deprived of oxygen. When Nancy and I go to an event, uh, a party, or a get-together, a home group, or something like that, we will often pray if we're together. We will often pray, God, help us to listen and not talk, because both of us can tend to be talkers. And for those of you who've been in a home group with me, you know that, you know, that prayer generally goes unanswered. But, uh, uh, you know, we just, just let us listen. Let us know. We want to be ready for whatever we need to be ready. Whatever God's got in store of us, we don't want to be just gabbing away and miss that opportunity. Well, well this is what happens here is we, 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 we compromise. We live a mediocre life. We ignore Holy Scripture. We're not showing love and this kind of thing. And then guess what? The, the opportunity to bless the Lord, to glorify the God, and to be spiritually blessed comes, and it just goes. It just goes. Why? You didn't see it. Why didn't you see it? Well, that light has been quenched. It's just so dim now because of all your compromise and your worldly living. You just didn't see it. You didn't have enough to see it. You had blinded your own spiritual eyes, which is the Holy Spirit within you. And, you know, we all do this. But let me, let me just encourage you to understand this, too, because it, it, it's kind of hard to get motivated sometimes, especially if it's a besetting sin or a particular area of sloth of yours or anything. But whenever you do that, you're affecting the rest of us. That's part of the body. You pinch the little finger, everybody else feels us. So when you, when you are ignoring the spiritual disciplines, you're walking in the flesh, you're, you're, uh, uh, you're, you're holding on to bitterness, and you come in here on a Sunday... It's going to hurt the rest of us. It's going to hurt the rest of us. We all are diminished. I think about what would a revival work at look like? A revival would look like a body of God's people that are all walking in the spirit and not quenching the spirit. That are living by faith. That's powerful. And the world sees it. And it may be that if we're that kind of body, that we could have those doors can open and that someone could come out and say, surely God is among you. I think sometimes that's what the Lord might be waiting for. But I don't think we take it seriously. We're not, we just sort of live our life uh, under impulse. So what's the solution to quenching of the Holy Spirit? Well, to, to not quench it, right? And not just not quenching, but to feed that fire. Through the spiritual disciplines, through, um, through prayer, through fellowship, through uh, understanding, reading good books by reading Holy Scripture. Galatians 5 addresses this issue. But if I say, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the Spirit sets its desire against the, the flesh, sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. Don't you feel that? I mean, if Paul didn't write, don't you get this, this flesh-spirit conflict that's within you all the time, all the time. I know I should be friendly and show Christian love to that visitor, but it's awkward, and he wears bow ties. And, I mean, could a normal person wear a bow tie, you know? 
And, uh, but, but, but it's okay, but that, oh no, somebody else is talking to him, so I'm just going to go over and, and, you know, get, and you know, we struggle the flesh and the spirit, right? Let me tell you one thing, God is waiting for you to, uh, to walk out in faith on that flesh, he'll, I mean on that spirit, he'll take care of the flesh. You, you will act in faith, he, and he often will wait for you to do that. The spirit doesn't pick you up to go introduce you, you to a visitor, he doesn't do that. If he does, that would be really weird, <laughs> you know. Hello, welcome to our church, you know. <laughs> you know. So, so you got to do it, and then you know what? Five minutes later, you're walking away thinking, wow, what a great guy. What a great guy. I think I'll start wearing bow ties. The summary of this is Galatians 5.26. If we live by the Spirit, we will also walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit, you ought to walk by the Spirit. You know, doesn't that sound simple? Isn't it hard? I'm telling you, y'all, what I'm telling you this morning is the crux of victory or defeat in the Christian life. This is it. It, it may seem just too many verses or too many points or whatever, but this is the point of the Christian life here. Walking by the Spirit so we do not carry out the desires of the flesh. All right, then we see we are to embrace the Holy Scriptures. All these are connected, right? All these are connected. So do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Now, again, what is a prophetic utterance? Well, it's the Word of God, and, and it's going to come from someone who is a, who is a prophet, all right? Now, what are prophets? Prophets, we think of prophets foretelling the future. We look at Isaiah 53, things like that. But mostly what they did is, is they foretold. They told you what God says and what they expect. So in a modern-day equivalent, that gift no longer exists because Scripture is completed. In a modern-day equipment uh, equivalent, it's what I'm doing right now. It's God speaking through a preacher or a teacher based upon the truths of his holy word. So... Here's the command. Do not despise my sermons. That seems terribly self-serving, uh, doesn't it? And maybe it was a little bit. But I'm gonna, can I say, oh, I don't know. I'm in the flesh right now. But uh, do not despise my sermons. Do not despise anyone's sermons. And, the, and evidently, this was happening in Thessalonica. Why? Well, it could be several reasons. If you were in, in our journey through First and Second Corinthians, remember, Paul is kind of, in a sense, from a mindset of the worldly people out there in the Greek-Roman world. He's sort of competing with the sophists, with the philosophers, and they would often compare Paul. Well, you know, his appearance is not, you know, there's nothing to him, and his words are not eloquent, because they were so used to these eloquent people coming up and speaking these great philosophical truths and stuff. And you know what Paul came in, and he says, Thus saith the Lord. Early description said he was bow-legged with a unibrow. All right, so he wasn't even that all that handsome, but he had God's word. Paul says, that's what you listen to, not that other stuff. That's what you listen to. You do not despise these prophetic utterances. Now, again, the, if we were to consider what is the content of a prophetic utterance, it's the word of God. It's the word of God. That's why I have as the heading, embrace the holy scriptures here. Uh, matter of fact, the older Puritans was called preaching. They would call it prophecy when you were preaching the word of God here. And you're not to despise it. So that, to despise is to consider as absolutely nothing or to have contempt or to look down on. So as to reject the word of God, basically. Now, this is interesting because there's actually multiple commands that the, the preacher, the teacher should preach the word of God. So when you're rejecting it, you're actually rejecting the command of God. Not just this one, but then other ones. 
For instance, 2 Timothy Paul, uh, 2 Timothy 4, Paul is teaching uh, Timothy right before he's beheaded. I solemnly charge you. And this is powerful language. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who's the judge, the living, and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom. He's, he's trying to get Timothy's attention. What does he say then? Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away from the ears of truth and turn aside to myths. You know, I, I, am, I, I actually feel sorry for preachers, teachers who compromise the word of God, because I think they're just complicated in their own life. I mean, you, you are here because of the word of God. And from a pastoral care standpoint, that makes all the difference in the world. Because we have both agreed upon a common standard of conduct and of faith. And we can go back to that common standard of common and faith. And we maintain church discipline as a result of that. If you're playing fast and loose with the word, the word of God, and your statements are always, well, Paul didn't really mean this, or Peter didn't really mean that, and Jesus, what Jesus really meant was this. I just think that's going to be a nightmare from a pastoral standpoint because there's just no foundation. You've built your house upon the sand. But we are to preach the word. What happens when you keep doing the ear-tickling thing? What happens when you surround yourself with people who are going to, you know, the, the, the emperor has uh, clothes when the emperor is buck-naked. But he, the emperor wanted to hear that he had clothes. That's what everybody told him. Well, that's exactly what happens with false teaching. You're going to heaven because good people go to heaven, especially Americans, and especially those who give liberally to this, this particular ministry. Y'all, that's not what God wants here. But what happens if, you keep, if that takes over the church of Jesus Christ? Well, God's going to take away his word. Do you know that? You know, there actually comes a point in time he's just going to take that word away because you're keeping ignoring it. He's just going to take it away. Amos 8, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or thirst or water, but rather the hearing of God's, of the words of the Lord. And people will stagger from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They will go to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst. Now, he's describing people who are famished, right? They're fainting, they're, they're thirsting, because they can't find the Word of God. Uh, I have the privilege of, of, of sometimes teaching a freshman Bible course at Anderson University. And on the first, you know, we're, it's a Bible, so we're trying to get, and they have to take the course. It's a required course. So with any required course, you got some people who are really glad to be there, some people who are not happy at all to be there. And, um, and we hope to change that by the course of the course. But I start off, with a video that you can Google it, where the Kamal people of Indonesia received their first Bibles in their own language. And they, the, you know, because it's one thing to, in Indonesia, I suppose they speak French, Dutch, Dutch, uh, maybe, or, and then they have native tongues and everything like that, but their heart language is their tribal tongue. Well, some wonderful people from Wycliffe Bible Translators took their tribal tongue, and then they converted scriptures into it. And the airplane lands, and the tribe, the tribe is all just, they're all gathered out in their best dress. 
the elders come forward and, and they're just kind of coming forward in unison. They're marching over there and they hand these packages to them. And the elders turn around and hold the packages and the people are just cheering and screaming. And they're opening up these packages and they pick up the Bible in their own language and they're just weeping. And I asked the students, how many Bibles do you have on the shelf at your home? You know? Now, we ought to have lots of Bibles. I'm not, that's, my goodness. You wouldn't believe the number of Bibles Jack has. But do we revere it like that? Do we love it like that? Are we willing to die for it like that? And to live for it like that? Y'all, that's our challenge because, because that's really what's going to cost us. That's what's going to cost us. But if you want to not quench the Holy Spirit, that's the center of gravity for your life. God's Holy Scripture here. And we are to not despise that, but we are to examine. So he's not telling you, check your, your brain at the door, right? Uh, we, are, we have a thoroughly rational religion. This is one of the great encouragements of Christianity. It just makes common sense. I'm sorry, we, were not, we are not highly advanced swamp monkeys. We're just not. And anybody who believes, I don't know how you could be a physician and believe that. Uh, so anyway, we are to examine. That means to, to test something for authenticity, uh, it, 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 to determine truth from false, right from wrong, and that kind of thing. We're to test the world, the world, life, with the standard of the Bible. We're to test prophetic utterances by the standard of the Bible. This goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? The great Shema. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them on a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals of your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Steve Routson's mom and daddy did that. And because of that, we have a new elder in our church. They had family devotions. That's, listen, that's a hard thing to do, especially if you got, you know, y'all just keep having babies. But you got, the, you know, you got a 10-year-old and you got a 2-year-old and we're all going to sit on the couch and we're going to go through the confession of faith. And the 2-year-old goes, oh, we love the confession of faith. No, they don't say that. You know, that's not at all what they're thinking. But you do it. It's a discipline. And, you know, sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's older. But you just immerse them in the scriptures. You teach them when they lie down, when they rise up. They're like frontals on your forehead, right? We had a great example here. First Chronicles chapter 12. The sons of Ishakar are men who understood the times with the knowledge of what Israel should do. Had a great example in the book of Acts. Now, these Bereans were more noble-minded than those of Thessalonica, for they received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Again, one reason, most people don't use the Pew Bibles anymore because you have them on your phone or you bring your own and we want you to bring your own. But this is an automatic accountability. I just can't get away with heresy in this church. I mean, I don't want to. Don't. But I cannot get away with heresy because you got the book right in front of you, right? That's the way it ought to be. And we want you to read that book and we want you to understand that book. Basically, the, the idea here is that you are to examine what's being told by the standard of Scripture and you two are to adore it and not despise it. Because there, here's the truth. You will be either shaped by the word or by the world. One of the two, either by the word or by the world. So we do not despise prophetic utterances, but we examine everything. Then the final, uh, quickly, th the thought here is to pursue a holy life. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. He may be going back to refer to the, the truths of Scripture there. 
but he's really, he's talking about how that generally affects your life here. So we're to hold fast to that, which is good. That means to embrace wholeheartedly or take possession of. We are to be people who adore the good. We love the clean. We love the wholesome. This is why some of us get so upset watching the news is because we see so much ungood and people getting away with it. There's a strong sense of justice with the Christian. We love the good. And one reason why is, is we're trying to fulfill John 14. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We're not being good. We're not embracing good so we can earn points with God. We do it because we love God and we're grateful for God. And because we have the Holy Spirit within us that convicts us of sin and that sort of thing. And then we're to abstain from every form of evil. Evil, of course, that abstain is to hold oneself away from. Uh, it, it emphasizes the avoidance of evil teaching or evil behavior. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, For the eyes of the Lord upon the righteous, his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Here's where the fear of God comes in. We don't have a fear of God, of dread, of punishment, but we have a, a respect for God. We don't want to embrace evil because God hates evil. And it's also one of the things you learn, too, about sin. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. There's a high price. Death always comes through sin. And there's a high price to pay. You may just lose the moment. You may lose a relationship. You may whatever. You may think you got away with it, but that you, there's a sense you know God saw it, Right? Hebrews 3, take care, brethren, lest there should be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Good is actually considerably more powerful than, than evil. Much more powerful. And the world is desperate for it. And they need to be able to see it in you. Revelation 2, 1, to the church of Ephesus, Paul, uh, John, through the, through the Holy Spirit, writes... The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance that you cannot endure evil man and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. That should be our description. That should be our description of our church. John MacArthur says this, the self-absorbed church preoccupied with attaining personal comfort, success, and achieving man, uh, man-centered solutions to life's problems possesses a superficial faith that cannot discern between good and evil or truth and error. That's what we don't want our church to be. So that's an awful lot of information, but you need to know that information. And if you ever stand on the floor of presbytery and call the holy spirit an it or a she i will deny ever knowing you and i will send you this cd if we make you go back through your doctrine but folks the message is true and it's so simple isn't it it's just not you don't have to know greek you don't have to know greek right do not quench the holy spirit do not despise prophetic utterances flee from the evil and do good lord i do pray that you'd help us to fulfill these it seems so simple now. Everything's just uh, right with the world. And we love coming here on these Sundays. And we're about to have a nice meal. And we get to be with our friends. And, but the world is there. And when we get out, wake up tomorrow morning, it is a Monday. And we're going to be tempted to fail in every single one of these categories. Help us to hold fast. Help us to have a persevering love for you. And a consuming desire to know your word and practice it.
We pray in Christ's name. Amen.